Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm sure many of you kind of grew up with this sort of thing where, hey, maybe you and your sibling, whether it's a brother, sister, maybe you'll argue all the time. And some of the stuff that maybe you've been heard saying out loud about your brother or sister is pretty critical from time to time. And that's just kind of the way that goes in sibling relationships. But when somebody else says something about your brother or sister, now you're sort of ready to fight. There's a tendency to want to circle the wagons when somebody comes after your family. Even if you spend like half your life mad at your family, when somebody else says something bad about your family, you're sort of ready to go and ready to fight. I think there's a college football version of that there as well. For the last couple of days, most of us have expressed some dissatisfaction with the way that Georgia's played the last couple of weeks. Did not look like itself against Missouri this past Saturday. Did not look like itself against Kent State the Saturday before that. And for the most part, my social media mentions, my comments on this show, my own commentary, for the most part, it's been pretty negative. Georgia's got to do this better, and Georgia's got to do that better, and do that better. And that's just kind of been the way in which we've sort of been. And I think that's all fair. That's just what sports fans do. Sports fans watch sports and then go to the internet and talk about what they saw. That's just kind of how the life of a sports fan goes. And we sort of exist to to serve sports fans who want to have that ongoing conversation about the team that they love. But much like I said a moment ago, when somebody on the outside, when some sort of outsider starts saying a bunch of nonsense, well, at that point in time, even if we're not fully satisfied with what we've seen from Georgia, it's sort of time to circle the wagons. And it's sort of time to call out nonsense for what it is. I'm going to give you an example of that from a guy that I don't actually hate. And you've heard me sudden before, Joel Klatt, Fox Sports analyst. He's a guy that I sort of you know like okay. But I think that he has gone on what I can only describe as kind of an unhinged rant in the direction of Kirby Smart. And it's based on a comment that Smart made. And I don't even – this didn't even really stick out in my mind when Smart said it. But um, but for Joel Klatt, this was just such the biggest deal in the world and fodder for a hot take. And he's like, you know, looking into a camera, screaming into a microphone, pretty similar to what I'm doing right now. But no, but nonetheless, you know, it's like one of those things where where, you know, for Joel Klatt, this was just a big platform for him to just get his biggest opinion and get his loudest voice and start, you know, saying whatever he wanted to about Georgia. And here for a couple of minutes, we're going to call this out for the nonsense that it is. And it's all based on the fact that in Klatt's ongoing rankings, he now has Georgia ranked at number five. Everybody moved Georgia down from number one. Klatt wanted to move him a little further than that at number five. And in kind of making his explanation for why that is, he sort of used some words from Kirby Smart as a springboard to this. So here's what I'm about to play for you. This is going to start with Kirby Smart talking about you know winning on the road in the SEC, and it leads into Clat uh, getting all into his feelings about what Kirby Smart had said. This is ridiculous. It'll be self-evident as to why, but I'll still explain it when it's when it's done. Joel Clat from Fox responding to Kirby Smart. And you know what? It's going to be really hard next week too. And it's going to be really hard the next week. And it's going to be really hard two weeks after that. It just doesn't change. And uh, you guys may think it's going to be easy at some point, but I promise you, it's going to be really hard in the SEC every week. Yeah, we get it. And I mean, this is always the narrative. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to beat Missouri, who got absolutely crushed by Kansas State by 28 points. But it's so hard for Georgia to go into Missouri and, and, you know, dominate that team. It was so hard. Uh, Kent State's not in the SEC and you were at home. So why were you in a 10 point game in the fourth quarter with Kent State? Um, by the way, is it easier to win in other conferences on the road? Was it easy for Michigan to go into Iowa City and win in Kinnick when Iowa has beaten four of the last five top five teams that they faced in that home stadium? I'm pretty sure that's a better track record at home than Missouri. So you already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is why so much of the sort of non-SEC-centric college football analysis on TV, on internet, things like that. This is why it is so nonsensical. If you want to criticize Georgia for playing badly against Missouri, I think you've got every right to do that. Heck, we've done that on this show. Everybody would look at the Georgia-Missouri game and say, that's not a team playing on a national championship level. But here's what you can't do, and this is what Joel Klatt tries to get away for, tries to get away with. Here's what you can't do. You can't cite Michigan as an example of what Georgia should be more like. Because we all were alive on this planet like 
however many months ago, nine months ago, we saw Georgia play Michigan head-to-head, and Georgia absolutely dragged them up and down the field at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami to the point that if Michigan could have walked off the field, could have tapped out, waved the white flag, and surrender, they absolutely would have done it. They don't want any more of Georgia. They thought they did before the game. They limped home and realized they never want to have to do that ever again. They're not up to the task. And so for Joel Klatt to try to pretend that somehow this season is completely independent and separate of anything that's ever happened before, this is where a lot of these national types, especially when it's a Fox analyst, because Fox is not an SEC network, they have every motivation necessary to make it seem like everybody's playing the same sport and everybody's playing at the same level and it's all apples to apples comparisons. It's not apples to apples comparisons. Georgia has rendered a program like Michigan totally irrelevant. So if you want to talk about Georgia playing poorly, you've got a right to do that. As I said, we've done that ourselves. But if you want to say, you got to be more like Michigan who just won at Iowa. Georgia bounced Michigan like a basketball. And that's back when they had, you know, supposedly a Heisman finalist in uh, Hutchinson and uh, Jabo and everybody else. They didn't belong on the same field as Georgia. So this is what's important here. And I think a lot of Georgia fans kind of intuitively understand this, even if they don't say it out loud the way that I'm saying it right now. It is one thing to have issues with your own team. Well, I wish they'd do this better. I wish they'd throw the ball to this guy more. I wish they'd, you know, whatever more. There is nothing wrong with doing that. But in talking about the blemishes, the imperfections that your team has, the areas in which you wish they would get better, you can't lose sight of the big picture. Is that nationally no one's really on Georgia's radar. If you're not in Ohio State, and we'll we'll even find out if that's true, if you're not in Alabama, there's nobody else on Georgia's radar. And there's a lot of folks that work for Fox, a lot of folks that kind of exist outside the SEC that desperately want that to be true and want to use a game like Missouri as a weapon to say, see, you know, Georgia's not all that great. Folks, Georgia beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl. They beat Clemson last year to begin the season without scoring an offensive touchdown. They've won twice against Notre Dame. They beat Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Uh, just this year alone against an Oregon team that's actually turned out to be pretty good, they beat them 49-3. to There is not a team that exists outside the SEC footprint that's really relevant in Georgia's discussion whatsoever. Georgia has rendered comparisons with other national programs totally irrelevant. And it's time, I think, for Georgia fans to also remind themselves there of that there as well. There is a high-end level of performance that maybe Georgia achieves, maybe it doesn't. But in comparison to the rest of the country, Georgia still stands among the national elite. And it has been proving that for years, including last year there as well, no matter what a guy like Joel Klatt tries to say. But Klatt was not done. Let's hear more of him getting really mad at Kirby Smart because Kirby Smart was talking about trying to win games in the SEC. Here is uh, Klatt one more time. This notion that this conference has some sort of mysterious power where it's harder to win on the road in the SEC than it is at other places is false. It's false. That's bias. That's narrative. And don't buy it. You know where it's hard to win? At really good teams. It's hard to win at Clemson, but they're not in the SEC, Joel. Yeah, but they've won 37 straight. It was tough for Clemson to win at Wake Forest on the road. League road games are tough across the board. Ask Iowa State, who rolled into the booth and got beat by Kansas. You bet it. You bet it. I cannot stand this narrative that all of a sudden in that conference, it's harder to win on the road. Missouri's no good. They got housed by Kansas State by 28 points. 28. Granted, it wasn't at Missouri, but still, 28? And all of a sudden, Kirby Smart's going to go out there and quite frankly lobby everyone around the country by saying like oh don't think down on us it's really hard it's really hard man kirby smart ain't lobbying nothing kirby smart don't want to be ranked number one and i use bad grammar intentionally this is not this is not the end of the season kirby's not lobbying for anything right now kirby's happy kirby's happier than anybody is and this is what concerns me a little bit i'm uh, as the future of college football becomes more and more defined by you know, the Big Ten being on the Fox network and SEC being on the ESPN network, 
What I fear is you're going to have a version of college football media that starts to feel a little bit like the political media or the one cable network is saying, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff over here and the other cable network saying a bunch of crazy stuff over there. And it's sometimes maybe not as connected to facts as you might like for it to be. And that sort of feels like what Joel Klatt's doing there. Like he mentions Kansas in a discussion about Georgia. Listen, I realize that Kansas is kind of a cute story to people. I know they're undefeated. And yes, game day is going to be there on Saturday and they're uh, taking on TCU. If Georgia played Kansas tomorrow, Georgia would be at least a 30-point favorite. Like, Kansas is not in the same orbit as Georgia. Don't bring up Kansas when you're talking about Georgia. The fact is, there are five Power Five leagues right now. There is a better chance that three of those Power Five leagues, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, there's a better chance that they cease to exist than there is they produce teams capable of being on the same level of Georgia. And that's just a fact. You don't need for me to tell you that. You already know that. It is a self-evident point. Those leagues are closer to disappearing than they are to rising up and creating a team that plays on par with Georgia. 49-3 against Oregon is sort of the only proof on that that you need. Now, as far as like what Kirby Smart, I think, meant when he said tough to win in the SEC, yeah, that's maybe a little bit hyperbole and that's a little bit of an exaggeration. And you know, a lot of the reporters in the room when he said that probably did kind of roll their eyes a little bit. But I think what Kirby actually meant was that it's tough to play at an elite top-end level from week to week. And I think that's probably true. I mean, you've heard me say this a lot of times before. The standard is not perfection. If the standard was perfection, Georgia wouldn't have been national champion last year. And the team that finished national runner-up, Alabama, they couldn't have been national champion either because they certainly had plenty of imperfect moments there as well. And really on and on you can go in the playoff era, the BCS era before that, where the eventual national champion almost any given year had lots of moments throughout the year leading up to that championship in which they looked imperfect, they looked to have some blemishes, and yet they were able to call upon their top-end performance when they really needed it. So here's what we're going to say about Georgia. Whether it starts this Saturday against Auburn or whatever else, if Georgia is an elite team, then it needs to play at an elite level. And if it can't call upon that in more games than not this season – then when it really has to come December or maybe on the road in November, when it really has to later on this year, it might not be able to do that. But we're still far removed from any kind of certainty about exactly what Georgia is and what it's going to be. We know for a fact it needs to play better uh, than it has the last couple of weeks. I assume that probably starts you know this week because there is a little bit of a track record to lean on here. So I don't think anyone, certainly not Georgia fans, is excusing away what happened against Missouri or even really excusing away what happened before that against Kent State. In fact, there are some people kind of outside the bubble of dog nation that have given Georgia more of a free pass on that than fans have themselves. And I'm certainly privately, you know, Kirby Smart's kind of, you know, trying to hold up a high standard here too. Elite teams need to play elite eventually. But the idea that somehow what Georgia's done against Missouri proves that Michigan is better than it is or Clemson's better than it is or it's one of these other teams that George has actually beaten in the past I think that's total absolute nonsense Joel Klatt already knows this he's putting on a show for the camera and I guess in the future of college football uh, we may see a lot more of this uh, taking place as far as the media is concerned my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Breda Pest Management, and we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all kinds of video platforms and all kinds of ways for you to be a part of our program. Really appreciate that. Uh, did I mention the radio on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref? We do that at noon. The podcast player, the Apple, everything else, Spotify. We're just so happy to have you as a part of the show. And we're so thankful as well for great sponsors who make it all possible, like our friends at Breda Pest Management. Now, I like Breda Pest Management for a lot of reasons. Hey, Matt Breda is a big sports fan. I know he was thrilled last night to see the Braves win the division again, the way that most of our audience probably was there as well. I also like Breda Pest Management because they're the official pest control provider of UJ Athletics. That means when you're there on Saturday, maybe going to the game against Auburn, when you think about a big structure like that being protected from termites, because let's face it, in Georgia, that's a real thing. you got to have that termite protection. Well, Breda Pest Management is protecting uh, Sanford Stadium, all the other athletic venues. Uh, there as well around that University of Georgia campus. And the thing I actually like them about the most is what they're able to do for you. Because when you have a less resourced uh, company trying to service your pest control, your termites, things like that, you know they're probably being forced to raise your prices year after year. You get that letter in the mail. Oh, it's going up. Things are more expensive. You know, and, and your termite service that you're currently dealing with may be the exact same kind of thing. But 
when you've got a pest control provider like Breda Pest Management, who's the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, who's been around in, in business since the 1970s, who's got more than 100 employees working hard all across the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia taking care of folks, when you've got that going on, all of a sudden they've got the resources they can leverage to actually save you money. So when you switch your pest control service to Breda Pest Management, they're going to be able to save you money right away. That's what they're able to do for you. So make sure you check them out online, BredaPest.com. I want to spell it for you, B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com to uh, connect with Breda Pest Management today and make that switch over to Breda and save money, put more money in your pocket right away by doing that today. All right, we are going to talk to Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of moments. Before that, I want to go around the doghouse. Now, this may feel like spin control, and maybe it is, who knows. But I do believe that when you think about what enabled Georgia to win a national championship last year, I think leaning on a very strong culture is one of the things that was really a secret ingredient, maybe a secret weapon for Georgia last season. The word you've heard me use before is decentralized. I think that Georgia was kind of a decentralized program last year. There wasn't any one player more responsible for success than kind of any other player. There were clearly a lot of very important players but if you unfortunately waved a magic wand and through injury, something like that, took a player off this team, I don't know there's any one player you could have taken off the team that would have ended Georgia's chances of winning a championship. And obviously other teams you would not be able to say that about. And so I think that culture may still be on display here for Georgia this year. And I certainly hope that's true as a Georgia partisan, as someone who wants Georgia to win games. I certainly hope that's true because right now Georgia's dealing with a pretty significant injury. Now, if you listen to the Kirby Smart press conference on the Dog Nation YouTube page last night after Georgia practice, there was a lot of injury stuff that came up. But I want you to listen to this kind of from the positive angle here for a moment. Right now, Jalen Carter, who I believe is still Georgia's best player, Georgia's most important player, he is banged up. And for the next couple of weeks, Georgia's not going to have him. But I want you to listen to this for a moment. I want you to listen to how calm Kirby Smart is in talking about this. And yes, I know it's probably coach speak. And yes, I know, you know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's whatever. But nonetheless, that the culture that was in place at Georgia to a national championship level a year ago, where everyone's asked to carry their own load and no one player more responsible for success than any other. I do think you hear some of that cultural strength, some of that structural support in the words from Kirby last night, relaxed, matter of fact, to the point on how Georgia moves on for the next couple of weeks, not having Jalen Carter as he battles an injury that uh, got worse based on the game against Missouri on Saturday. This is Kirby from last night. Yeah, I hate it for Jalen. You know, as a guy that's had a, a, a good two years, really talented. And, um, you know, the very first play of the year is when the ankle got injured. He played on adrenaline in the Oregon game. And, uh, and then you know struggled to get back, and he got back, and he was he was he really felt good. Uh, and then you know different injury, it really didn't have anything to do with the ankle. So uh, tough is the only way to put it, but it, it's part of football. And you know our mantra around here is next man up, and uh, we've had a lot of that with with the inside players, with guys dinged up and banged up, and next man up and go play the snaps for them. So it's tough. Kirby Smart says that. We would all agree that. Replacing your best player, even if it's only for a few weeks, never an easy thing to do. But Smart, for the most part, relaxed on that and kind of leaning in on, hey, next man up. We're going to call on Bear Alexander and uh, Warren Brinson and Nazir Stackhouse and names like that. We're going to call on these guys to be ready to go. And we've seen Georgia do things like that in the past, leaning on a lot of players to help contribute to success. It's interesting to me that right now a team that's really a, a nemesis to Georgia, a rival to Georgia, the Alabama Crimson Tide, they're dealing with a very similar situation. Georgia without its best player right now, and we're not quite sure for how long. Alabama also appears to be on the verge of being without its best player right now. And yet I think culturally you see some big differences between the Dogs and the, the Crimson Tide. We said last year that Georgia won a national championship without any one player being overly responsible for that success. For Alabama, you certainly can't say that. They've had a small handful of players, and oftentimes these are smaller, thinner players, but small handful of players who have been certainly far more responsible for Alabama's success, other players on that roster. And without those players, Alabama just isn't the same team. Certainly Bryce Young is probably the most paramount example of that. And 
at least for a portion of the upcoming games, if not all of the upcoming games for the next few weeks at least, Alabama's either going to have a hobbled Bryce Young or not going to have Bryce Young at all. And in talking about this, Nick Saban, I would say, doesn't sound nearly as relaxed, doesn't sound nearly as sort of comfortable and certainly maybe not even as confident as Kirby Smart uh, sounded in the clip I played for you there a moment ago. Let me give you an example of this. They were asking Saban in his press conference how he might use Jalen Milrow, a backup quarterback, to uh, Bryce Young. And you hear Saban in your own ears from this week. Does this guy sound relaxed? Does this guy sound confident to you right now? Does this sound like a guy that's leaning on a strong culture at Alabama? I would suggest maybe not, Saban, from this week. You know, I don't talk to Jimbo on a regular basis, but I'll call him and tell him right after the conference if you want me to. Man, you guys think I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with our offense and our team? You, you, you might as well make it up. I, I saw today where there's headlines in the paper that, you know, I'm going to keep it a secret what we're going to do with Bryce. I'm, that's, it sounded like me making that statement. But it re- I've never said that. But it, it was there in black and white. Like, so you can make up whatever you want to make up. So listen, people say, all right, Nick Saban loves to give it to the media. He loves to give the media grief. Maybe that's what that is. Or maybe that's a coach who knows that his success this season is a lot more dependent on one player than maybe a program like Georgia's is. And for now, Nick Saban may not have access to that player, and he's not quite so sure when he's going to get that back. Very interesting comparison between Georgia and Alabama as both these teams would appear to be without their best player for the foreseeable future. That's around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. And by the way, uh, Georgia continuing its preparations to get ready for Auburn on Saturday as well. What has happened during practice? What has Kirby Smart said this week? What have Georgia players themselves said this week as the dogs try to get another win in the Deep South's oldest rivalry? Let's find out about all that right now as we get a Georgia Farm Bureau insider update with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll bring in Mike Griffith here, Georgia Farm Bureau insider update on Dog Nation Daily here today. And uh, Mike, last night, a lot of injury talk from Kirby uh, during the press conference, some of that related to Jalen Carter. And, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. That's a very significant injury for Georgia, one that's going to linger here for a bit. And yet, it's also the kind of thing that structurally Georgia is sort of supposedly built to withstand that you look at what happened a year ago the success that Georgia enjoyed was kind of spread out amongst a lot of players a lot of guys had responsibility for how Georgia ended up winning the national championship and calling on other players to step up in the absence of Jalen Carter right now that is something that Georgia has done before uh what do you make of where Georgia is from a health standpoint right now um, we've seen the difference that having two receivers out makes at Georgia. I mean, Alabama saw it last year, and we're seeing it now with no A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkey having a foot injury. The the passing game ain't what it used to be. Teams are going to challenge Georgia on the perimeter and challenge Stetson Bennett to make throws and plays and respond to pressure um, because they're not giving a lot of safety help over the top because they don't have to um, because Georgia hasn't shown uh, great backups um, at those two wide receiver spots. Defensively, They've kind of been playing without Jalen Carter most of the year. Believe it or not, B.A., I saw this stat today. Jalen Carter only played eight snaps in the second half of the games all year. So they've kind of been without him for a a while. Um, And now Smile Munden is a guy that Kirby said he's concerned with last night. Uh, So it's a beat-up Georgia team. Um, We've seen two games in a row where Georgia didn't look as invincible as it did uh, with the impressive wins over Oregon and South Carolina. Um, so I'm really eager to see, um, you know, how Georgia shows up. I remember doing the pregame with you Saturday night. Your comment was, will the real Georgia please stand up? Sure. And I hope that was not the real Georgia at Missouri, Brandon. Well, it is fair to point out in five games, Georgia's played – less than great more often than it's played great that's certainly true and elite teams are going to need to show themselves playing elite level more often not during the season but I think one of the things that some Georgia fans do take some comfort in and this is you know admittedly uh you know maybe a a more rosy appraisal of the situation is is I don't know that anyone in the country has distanced themselves from everybody else I think you can point to 
pretty unimpressive moments from all of the so-called elite contenders, at least the ones that have played teams of note. Uh, I don't think Alabama played well at Texas. I don't think uh, Ohio State played well against Notre Dame to begin the season. I don't think that Clemson played well against Georgia Tech. And I don't think Michigan's played anybody at all as of yet. I mean, sort of on and on you can go. And In other words, I, I definitely think that Georgia has a responsibility to play better than it did. Uh, but the fact that it hasn't played great in every game only makes Georgia just like the other so-called championship contenders, and it doesn't necessarily put them in a unique category. Oh, I agree with that. I, I don't think anybody's separating. The thing that's alarming is that they've played two lousy teams and they haven't played well. Um, you know, that's interesting. You know, they're impressive games. You know, Oregon is a legitimate team, and my gosh, that I hope they didn't peak the first game of the season. I mean, that's a, that's a legit top 15, top 10 team even maybe, and Georgia was unbelievably efficient. Um, you know, South Carolina, I'm, I'm, the jury's kind of out. I know they were missing five starters, but that was still an SEC road game. Um, no, the concerning thing is it's Kent State and Missouri that they're looking lousy against. Um, the good news is is Auburn is kind of a watered-down version of itself, um, you know, coming off that loss to LSU. And, and Vanderbilt certainly doesn't appear to be much of a threat uh, in a couple of weeks. And then you get a bye week, so... To me, the best news is that Kirby's got a few weeks to work with these young guys that are stepping into new roles um, that are going to have to, before they get to the meat of the season. Because um, to your point, while they haven't separated, um, nobody's separated, there's more um, There's more threats, right? I, I think if Kentucky plays clean, they could be a dangerous team. Tennessee leaves the nation in offense. We'll see what happens when they play a, a legit defense down there in Baton Rouge this weekend. Um, Mississippi State on the road is not going to be a picnic. They won pretty decisively over A&M. So, to me, all the hopes are still there. I mean, it's a 5-0 and team ranked number two in the country. Um, but I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we suggested that this team looked anything like last year's did, um, you know, from the midseason point on when, when that team really just, I mean, my goodness, they were only giving up, what, 6.9 points per game. So <laughs> that's tough to match. <laughs> So I think the biggest takeaway that at least the people who've interacted with me had from the game against Missouri is what's going on with the Georgia offensive line right now, where of all the position groups, this seems to be the one that's, at least thus far, the most off the mark for what you really need to play kind of an elite top-end level. Now, we've also heard from people this week, John Stinchcomb, who believes that's fixable, that you can play better. There's been some you know chatter around the Georgia program about you know the kinds of blocking assignments you're asking players to execute, and you know maybe that being an example of uh, something that gives Georgia a chance for more success. And frankly, I don't even really care about that. Like, like I just want to see the results, right? I, I want to see, the, I want to see the you know the the group perform better, whether that's you know identifying a best five or you know just trusting the the rotation they they've been having. What's your overall assessment of what's going on with Georgia with its offensive line right now? Well, I, I think you're right. I think it's dropped off from last year, but but it's more than that. It, it's everything. It's the game plan. It's Stetson Bennett and the calls he's making at the line of scrimmage. It's the throws that he's missing. It's the throws that he hasn't made. It's the receivers not winning one-on-one -on -one battles. Um, you know, if you're going to blitz and you're going to bring that extra guy, you're the defense. You're taking a chance. You're saying your receivers can't beat us one-on-one. -on -one. And last week they didn't, and Kirby said that. we got to win some of those one-on-ones. Uh, when you're going to blitz and you're going to bring that extra guy, you're saying your quarterback can't find the open receiver. And Stetson didn't at times last week, or he can't hit the open receiver. Um, you know, so it's everything. It's not just the offensive line. It's the quarterback play has, has, has not been good the last two weeks. It's that your wide receivers aren't winning the one-on-one -on -one battles on the perimeter that would just blow teams up. You know, I think back to last year's game against Missouri, Brandon, and, and I kept thinking this all week. If Stetson Bennett doesn't hit a fourth and seven pass, Georgia's trailing Missouri at home after one quarter. Missouri kind of did this last year, but Stetson uh, made a really beautiful throw, and I, I can't remember. It might have been A.D. Mitchell, uh, but A.D.'s out right now. I think you really, really, really miss A.D. AD Mitchell. I think you really, really, really miss having Lad McConkey um, at full speed. I mean, the guy's got a foot. He's, he's uh, clearly a step off. He's not what he was against Oregon. And who's that next man up? In, well, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saints, a nice receiver, uh, you know, a possession guy. And, you know, if Dominic Blaylock could do a little more in the weight room, he might be able to block a little better and you could put him out there on rundowns. But right now he doesn't block well enough. So you can only play him on passing downs. 
Um, Arian Smith's back, but he still doesn't really know the playbook. I mean, you're year three with a project player with all the speed in the world, but as Todd Munkin says, a situational player. So that leaves you with Darnell and Brock, and I think we're going to see a lot more of those guys. Kenny McIntosh has been limited by the thigh. That's a guy that had nine catches against Oregon. He's not himself. So the injuries mount up, and you need players to emerge. You need young guys to get better fast. Um, Kirby's talked about that, some of those young receiver names you've heard. Uh, Dejon Edwards, I think he did a really nice job in that last game. He's emerging. I don't know that he'll ever be the threat in the pass game that Kenny is, um, but he certainly carried the load. Um, so you're watching the team grow right before your eyes, um, but it's not, it's not a dominant team like last year. Last year's team was, I mean, it, it was such a special season, and we probably got ahead of ourselves with this year's team starting out so well. And what we're seeing right now is, is Georgia kind of come back to earth with a few injuries that are showing that this team doesn't have championship depth yet. But they've got a schedule that's going to allow them to grow and get better so that by the time November gets here, this is going to be a more seasoned, uh, more well-groomed, better football team. I'll talk about the other side of the ball for a moment in that um... – you know, on Saturday against Missouri, Georgia had a lot of yardage, and yet you sort of felt like, well, it seemed like Missouri had a better day defensively than the actual yardage would suggest they did, and people say, well, why is that? And I think the answer is pretty clear. That's because Missouri was so aggressive defensively. They had two sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. They were very aggressive in the backfield. And I think for Georgia this year, who is going to give up more yards and points than they have the certainly last season, they've given up 22 in each of the last two games, I think their responsibility, Mike, is, and I've been pounding my fist on the desk about this over and over again, their responsibility is, going to be, responsibility is going to have to be, how does Georgia create its own negative plays? How does it make its own impactful plays on defense to negate the fact that they are probably on a per-play basis just going to give up a little bit more than they gave up a year ago? But you can totally mitigate that if you're aggressive enough on, on defense. To me, that's got to be the word that defines Georgia over the course of the next seven regular season games. I'd love for that to be true on Saturday uh, against Auburn there as well. Can Georgia just be more aggressive on defense? Can it create more opportunities by by going out there and making something happen? To me, Mike, that's a, that, that's a crucial issue for Georgia. Well, it is. But, but, but one thing to, to be clear on as far as all that yardage, Georgia's biggest problem is red zone, Brandon. They've had 31 trips into the red zone, and they've had uh, – 14 rushing touchdowns and five passes. So 19 out of 31 times they've scored touchdowns. Uh, that's a ratio of about 65% approximately. And they're kicking field goals, 11 field goals. Now contrast that to the Ohio State. 25 trips into the red zone, 23 touchdowns, over 90% touchdown ratio. So when you're getting into that red zone area of the field, if you're scoring six instead of three or seven instead of three, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that team is going to be much, much, much more effective. And so that's one of the struggles for Georgia has been kicking all the field goals, and you and I talked about that last week. As far as the defense, the reason this year's defense isn't going to be as good as last year's, it's not going to happen. Last year's defense had three first-round picks on the defensive line. And because they were able to dominate the defensive line and get pressure without bringing that extra rusher, without bringing that blitz guy, you had one more guy in coverage and you had, and you had pressure. That's not happening. We, with the, Trayvon Walker is not coming out of that tunnel. Neither is Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt. Also, without Davis and Wyatt in the middle, now you're at Nazir Stackhouse and Zion Logue, you know, considerably lower, your linebackers aren't having the same clean angles of pursuit because you're not dominating the line of scrimmage. You might be holding even, but you're not just blowing people up and creating those great angles for your linebackers to make plays. It makes it much tougher on those backers. And they're younger guys anyway. Now, the encouraging news is that Jamon Dumas-Johnson, is he's a champ. I mean, this guy's legit. He is absolutely, I can't believe I'm saying, he is filling the shoes of N'Kobe Dean. And that is a mouthful because Kobe was a Butkus Award winner. Smile Munden as well, excellent player, little banged up now, something to keep an eye on, because remember his backup, um, Tresman Marshall playing on one knee, as Kirby said. So you got a little inside linebacker depth, depth issue stuff going on. So because your front is not as dominant, it's harder to make plays. 
you're not getting as much pressure consistently. Um, I think your secondary has been okay, but QB Ringo's been exposed a couple times. They love him because of his size and speed. He's not a shutdown corner. Um, he got beat twice you know, deep. Not a sticky game. He's not Eric Stokes out there. Now, he's a whale of a player. Uh, he'll come up and knock you into next week and run support. Like I said, he's going to look great at the NFL Combine and probably be a first-round pick. But he gets beat every now and then. Every corner does. Let's be honest about sure. it. Um, the safety position has been a great surprise. Malachi Starks, I think, has been remarkably effective and produced some great plays. Chris Smith started strong. Remember that shoulder? I wonder how he's doing. Um, Kirby said he thought he should have had a pick. So the opportunity was there. But uh, just in general, I think what we're going to have to get used to is a Georgia team that's not as dominant as last year's. We're going to see more close football games. We're going to need to see the coaching come into play. Um, you know, Todd Munkin and Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann. You've got a great coaching staff. You've got great talent. But you're young and you're inexperienced, and you're going to have to grow. And these other teams are better. Kentucky's better than a year ago. Tennessee's better than a year ago. Mississippi State's better than a year ago. Um, the good news is Auburn and Vanderbilt are next. And Florida, gosh, Brandon, I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of Florida. How much of Anthony Richardson's success had to do with that porous Tennessee defense? Um, I think we're going to find out a little bit more about those transitive properties when Tennessee plays at LSU at noon on Saturday as you and I are getting up in the press box eating some of those Georgia cookies, getting ready for one of the deepest South's oldest rivalries. All right, it is uh, our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffith here right now on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, uh, Georgia fans tune in and listen to us each and every week. And Georgia fans spread all across our great state. And listen, you got needs in your life, right? Get your home, you want to protect it. you got your vehicle that gets you to work each and every day. That's what allows you to kind of fund your life. These are important things and the right kind of insurance protection for uh, things like that in your own life really important there as well. That means you want an insurance company you can trust. You want to deal with somebody that's kind of local right there with you, and that's what Georgia Farm Bureau is. We say and have said for a long time, they're always the home team. What does that mean? It means the Georgia Farm Bureau agents and their employees are living, they're working, they're coaching their youth league sports teams, they're going to churches and things like that in communities just like yours all across our great state. And that means that when you have an issue, when something pops up, when you have a claim on your house, or when you have an auto accident, my wife had an auto accident a few weeks ago. It's like when you have something like this pop up, you want somebody on the other side of that that, that kind of knows what it feels like, that's going through a similar stage of life and a similar season of life just like you are. And that's what Georgia Farm Bureau agents are all about. So you can find them online at gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. Georgia Farm Bureau, truly always the home team. Mike, we'll finish with this. You spent some time at Auburn. I think Auburn's terrible. I think that Brian Harson's going to be fired in the season, but I don't think they've quit yet. I don't think they quit against LSU on Saturday. I don't really think they quit against Missouri the uh, week before that. They seem to still be you know, showing some fight on the field. What was the sense you got of the mood around Auburn having been there earlier this week? Yeah, it was, it was very, very different than Georgia, obviously. Um, intriguing. I'm going to give you a great stat. This is a fascinating stat. Let's see if it holds up this week. I'm going to bet that it doesn't. And Auburn's last four SEC losses, dating back to last season, they led by double digits. Think about this. They led Mississippi State by double digits. They led Alabama by double digits. And I believe they led South Carolina by double digits. And they led LSU 17-0. to and they still lost. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Did they do a great job scheming, and that's why they got up? Um, or are they just terrible coaches, and, and that's why they got down? A lot of people put a lot of that on Mike Bobo last year. That's why he got fired. They only scored 12 points in the second half of their last uh, three losses. That's pretty putrid. Um, the game Saturday, they have a very young quarterback in Robbie Ashford who's making his first start. And uh, it's an uphill climb. Uh, you know, Brian Harson said that, you know, he knows how great George is. And um, to your point, they haven't quit yet. I wonder, you know, this is their first road game. Are they going to quit? Are they going to be the same between the hedges? I mean, I expect the Georgia fans to just roar. And whatever George has been missing, uh, I feel like these fans are going to be worth 10 to 14 points on Saturday. I just don't know that Auburn's going to keep that streak up. And as far as Brian Harson, here's the problem. You fire him and who's your interim? I don't see anybody on that staff that you go, yeah, that guy might be a head coach someday. Um, I, I just don't see it. So, you know, you can say you want to fire him, but who do you put out there instead? I, 
I don't understand the midseason firings unless there's something harmful going on to the team. And, and I'll be honest with you, Brandon, I, I don't know that Brian Harson's a terrible coach. I think he just walked into a terrible situation during a COVID year. He wasn't able to get out and recruit. Um, the Mike Bobo hire didn't work. Um, those two didn't didn't get along. I've talked to people, and um, you know Bobo's kind of set in his ways, and Harson had success other places, and it just didn't work. Um, Auburn, what Gus Malzahn didn't leave it in great shakes, and we watched Georgia destroy Gus's last team. So he took a tough job at a tough time and a very tough place to win, where where a lot of the upper boosters and in the media, there's there's no uh, Auburn Tigers nation daily they don't have a brandon adams they have a very rough crowd there and they, they were on him about his vaccinations i mean think about this time in history oh my goodness he he has a different vaccine uh, uh attitude than nick saban so let's write about him i mean it was just craziness so it's a really curious thing to me because i think he's a good coach but auburn auburn's gonna auburn you know they have success and they just can't seem to sustain it so this is curious to me i i don't know what to expect i Feel bad for the players. Um, George's arrival, they'll probably get up for the game. But if uh, if Kirby's attitude about uh, you know strike and attack that he left us with last night holds true, and that uh, Sanford Stadium faithful shows up in force, this is a game that could get ugly in the second half. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here, Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We'll look forward to reading it at DogNation.com, and of course, getting a chance to chat with you again very soon as well. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So two quick thoughts I want to move on. First of all, on the Brian Harson thing in Auburn, I also don't believe that Harson's a bad coach. I just think he's beneath the standard of the uh, SEC. I don't blame Harson for taking the George, or I should say the Auburn job. Like if you offered me a chance to go do Sunday Night Football on NBC, of course I'm going to take the job. Maybe I can do it, maybe I can't, but they're the fool who offered it to me. I'm not going to be the fool that turns it down, and Harson's the same way. If you're living in Boise, Idaho, get a chance to go to the SEC, of course you're going to take it. It's not his fault that he's not better. It's Auburn's fault that they hired him. Uh, so, of course, you're going to take that job. But if Auburn fired him tomorrow, Harson could be coaching somewhere again, probably out west, as soon as next year. Harson is different than some coaches who get fired, and you kind of wonder, do they have any job prospects whatsoever? The only thing we know about Harson in this situation is, is that Boise State, uh, the Mountain West is not a very good proving ground for what's required in the SEC. And as far as the Mike Bobo part of this, there's a very obvious reason that a guy like Harson needed a guy like Bobo. He needed some SEC credentials. And here's the one thing that people kind of forget about Bobo. When when Bobo was at Georgia his last year in 2014 before going to the become head coach of Colorado State, Bobo was among the, if not the very, best recruiters on the entire staff at the time. Not just recruiting quarterbacks, but recruiting players at other positions across the board this was an a-list recruiter who had so much of the state of georgia and sec country kind of wired from a recruiting standpoint a guy like harson needed that the fact that harson though can't i presumably get along a lot because he's cycled through a lot of assistance so you assume some of this related to him the fact that that he can't you know make that situation work knowing that other people had what he didn't have which was relevance in the sec recruiting prowess in a region that he was trying to become familiar with that's one of the things that sort of doomed this to fail from the outset when you write the autopsy of what went wrong with harson uh at auburn in addition to the fact that he was just never quite uh supported by his boosters and maybe with good reason but either way that's the other thing you're going to say is is that harson couldn't figure out to how to leverage the locals to make himself a little more ingrained in that kind of southern culture and i think experiments like this aren't likely to work again in the future either one more thing about Georgia, then we'll move on. This kind of comes from something else that Mike was saying. I think the only relevant comparison for Georgia right now is the other National League programs. Certainly that's Alabama. Uh, that's probably Ohio State, and it may not be anybody else. But those are the relevant comparisons for Georgia. I don't think the landscape in the SEC East has changed one bit. I don't think that Tennessee is showing itself to be better right now than I thought they were before the season began. Even if they win this game on Saturday, that's something I – prior to the start of the season i probably expected them to do but even if they win this game on saturday unless they win it by you know 24 points or something like that unless they win it going away you're still talking about a team that's good but has sort of stopped short of demonstrating anything coming close to greatness tennessee is not in the national elite conversation they're in the conversation of top 25 top 15 type teams 
But this is not a team that's proving itself to be a threat to Georgia based on what it's done thus far. Now, we'll see what happens over the course of the next few weeks. As it stands right now, if anything, Tennessee is actually slightly underperformed in comparison to expectations. I feel the same way about Kentucky. I thought Kentucky fought pretty hard against Ole Miss on Saturday, but this is not a great team. This is a team that's built around Will Levis, a quarterback, and you know every piece of evidence we have suggests that Levis is nowhere near what the offseason hype around him suggests that it would be, and that's one of the reasons why Lane Kiffin kind of took a jab at him after the game on Saturday. We've always known something about Georgia. A road game at Kentucky is tough. I don't know that Kentucky is a team on par with Georgia, but a venue, a tough spot to win on a per-game basis, that, that can be pretty challenging. We've said before the season began that the toughest game that Georgia may be playing at all is at Mississippi State. That's only been more proven to be true based on the way the season played out. But Georgia's threat's not in the SEC East. I believe that Georgia's going to roller skate its way to the SEC championship game. We'll find out then what happens after that. But nothing that's happened for me over the course of five games for Georgia and the teams that Georgia's supposedly competing with, nothing that's happened for me over the course of five games has changed my outlook in the SEC East at all. There is no team that's even within a zip code of Georgia but how does Georgia compare to the teams that are vying for a national championship? That's the relevant question, and we're actually not all that close to answering that as of yet. Now, with all that said, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Got some good news in my email inbox uh, last night that my uh, stateroom is all ready to go for the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April, and I think a lot of folks probably got that same message delivered to them, and if you want that same message delivered to you, it's the time now to go ahead and get locked on in on this. Start thinking about some of that great 2023 travel or late 2022 travel. You got a holiday theme cruise you want to take, something along those lines. It's a great time to be doing a, a lot of that kind of stuff. I believe that the second most fun thing compared to taking a cruise is the anticipation you have for that cruise. So go ahead and book now and get ready to enjoy that. So when I talk about it each and every day, you can say, hey, I'm going to be with BA on that cruise. And if you've heard me talk about being on Independence of the Seas this upcoming April, leaving out on April 24th, uh, April 24th to 28th, uh, going to NASA on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, enjoying some special Dog Nation events, in including a huge draft party on the final night of the cruise as we uh, look forward to the NFL draft. You've been hearing me say how fun this is going to be. Call my friend Jessica Slater and ask her if I'm telling the truth. Uh, she's the travel agent specially selected by Royal Caribbean to help us book this great cruise with Royal Caribbean. You can call her at 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And find out from her, is it really going to be this fun? She's going to tell you yes, and she's going to tell you how you can be a part of it. So check that out today. Or if you want to start your experience online, check out the website that she's built specifically for our great cruise, RoyalDogs.com. RoyalDogs.com. You can check that out and find out how you can be a part of what's going to be going down on the second ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April. All right, a couple of things to kind of bounce through here for a moment. I want to talk about the Alabama quarterback situation because we addressed this a little earlier. I think it's really interesting how much I guess, potential turmoil all this has. Now, potential is a big word here because as it stands right now, we don't quite know what this is going to lead to with Bryce Young dealing with his shoulder. Uh, but if if Alabama's forced to play within uh, him for a while, you've got various camps kind of forming. We pledged the clip earlier of folks talking about, well, you got to have that package for Jalen Milrow. Uh, he's obviously a very good running quarterback. Uh, Tom Hart from the SEC Network, who was on our show last week, was on a uh, radio show uh, this week saying, I think you got to turn to Ty Simpson. Like, there's a little bit of debate about who the guy would be if it's not going to be Bryce Young. And this is actually the more troubling part of this if you're Alabama. And this is, if, if you hear that angst or if you hear that unrest in Nick Saban's voice, this is what it's related to. Nick Saban has always had a lot of control over everything happening around Alabama. And you better believe he wants his players back out there in the field after they've been hurt and, you know, whatever else. But it's not obvious that, that Bryce Young is going to necessarily make the decision that Saban wants him to make as quickly as Saban wants him to make it. You've had even folks like Greg McElroy talking about the potential value of that shoulder that's injured for Young right now. That's potentially a nine-figure shoulder when you think about what his NFL future is. That you've got to be careful about that if you're uh, young. And certainly rushing back too quickly, uh, maybe that's not the decision that everybody would make in this particular situation. Now, if he's healthy enough to play, I'm assuming he probably will because he's a competitor. I actually like Bryce Young. I'm not, I'm not anti-Bryce Young necessarily. But I am noticing that there is a lot of questions around this situation in Alabama that Nick Saban's not quite used to. So we'll see how that continues to play itself out. No shortage of questions around Georgia either. And I thought this was interesting. 
Matt Stinchcomb was a guest on the Paul Feinbaum show this week. This is not really an SEC through topic, but I just kind of put it in this portion of the show. And he was kind of talking about the offensive line. Now, Stinch is obviously an important voice in this because much like his brother John, who joins us each week, very good offensive lineman, you know, first-round draft pick level offensive lineman. And this is what he said on the Feinbaum show. I'm going to read this quote to you. He says about that group, he says, I watched this game and they were sloppy. This was a sloppy performance up front. And by that, I mean you could not point out a single performer or performance where you go, okay, this guy graded out as a winning grade. This is Matt Stinchcomb talking. He says they would they would do it right on some snaps, so that's encouraging because now I know you can do it. But what's concerning is then you would do it poorly on other snaps, and the question is what changed? What changed, he says. Look, when it comes to a lot of things, I'm sure Matt Stinchcomb's far smarter than I am, but on this particular topic, I know he's far smarter than I am. And that's the kind of thing that if you hear an expert voice saying, oh, I'm seeing an inconsistent level of play, and when it's poor, it's poor because it's sloppy. It's not uh, an expert technique. It's not a well-oiled machine from a technique standpoint. That's something you don't like to see, you don't like to hear, and that's a challenge for Georgia to clean up. John Stinchcomb on the show this week said that he thought that Georgia could be improved on the offensive line. It could play better eventually. Well, Maybe Matt Stinchcomb, his brother, is kind of pointing the way forward on that, just kind of sharpening the saw a bit from a from a technique standpoint. So I'm going to watch against Auburn on Saturday. Honestly, I'm not going to be able to tell you if they're playing the right technique or not. But once again, the results are what matter here. If, if big holes are being opened up and running backs are sailing right through them, if Stetson Bennett's got all day to throw, then I'm going to assume the technique was probably pretty good because the results certainly seem to be what they're supposed to be. So interesting to hear a guy like Matt Stinchcomb kind of breaking it down that way. And then, and then finally, I'll give you this. Uh, Brian Kelly challenging his quarterback, Jay Daniels, right now to do a little bit more. This is something we saw after the Florida State game that uh, Daniels is a little bit like the guy now at the end of his tenure at Arizona State. That a little bit of a run first guy, you know, not not a proficient passer necessarily. And this has kind of shown up for them a little bit. We weren't believers in the LSU offense going on the road last week against Auburn, and I think with good reason after the you see the results. And when you think about why I don't really give LSU much of a shot of standing up at home and maybe beating Tennessee on Saturday, a lot of this for me just kind of rests in the fact that Jalen Daniels is just kind of okay. He's just kind of a guy. He's just sort of out there. And interesting to, to hear Kelly challenging him to do things with the throw game, you know, you know, you know, take some responsibility with your arm, make some big throws here. That's what it takes to keep pace with Tennessee. I'm sure the game against the Vols be relatively close, but Daniels is just not the kind of quarterback that can outdo a guy like Hendon Hooker right now. I just don't believe that he is, and I think that uh, Kelly's challenge is probably evidence of that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, uh, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. By the way, speaking of LSU-Tennessee, one of the big games from the weekend, this is kind of our early preview for that. We call this our My Bookie Best Bets. We make our picks officially on Go With The Flow coming up on Fridays. I'll also, by the week time the week is done, give you my sort of full opinion on this. But on Wednesdays, with our MyBookie Best Bets, it's a little bit of a time for me to give you just a little bit of an early thought or two about these games. So let me show the, uh, I guess, the big games we're focused in on for right now and kind of talk about what we think here. 30 is a huge number for Georgia. Uh, that's the that's how big of a favorite they are against Auburn. And it's such a big number that would really cause me pause here. Georgia, from a spread standpoint, has actually been better on the road than it has been at home. And part of that's just due to the fact they're just such massive favorites here uh, for most of the games they play inside Sanford Stadium. And yet, in this particular moment there as well, I just don't think Auburn's very good. And I do think that that Georgia is probably ready to play better. And I, and I do think that Georgia probably finds – a little bit different level of energy in this game than it's found before. I'm not quite ready to make a pick on this game as of yet. Uh, 30, which is where it is at my bookie right now, or at least is where it was at the time we made this graphic. Um, uh, I, I'm not quite ready to make my pick on that. I'm certainly considering taking Georgia. It's not obvious to me that I'd take Auburn. It's just a matter of do I really have enough faith in the dogs laying such a large number. Uh, Tennessee is on the road and favored at uh, LSU. We have not seen Tennessee favored in these kinds of SEC road spots very much in many, many years. And as I mentioned to our video audience before the show began, one of the things you heard me say about the Vols going into the Florida game was, is this a little too much too soon? And my belief was that it was. Double-digit favorite at home, big national TV audience, ESPN game day on hand. 
that Tennessee was likely to win, but not likely to really flex against Florida because you're talking about a lot of history in which you know Tennessee just had not performed that way against a Florida team that, on that particular day. Maybe just a win was going to be enough. Well, the good news for the Vols here in this spot is at LSU, a win is enough. The number's only three. Yes, they're favored on the road, but ultimately you're talking about a game in which Tennessee's not going to have to dig quite as deep to do something that's impressive. Vols did win in overtime on the road at Pitt earlier this year, so we've seen them get a win away from home. This is probably a little bit of a step up in weight class, although I'm actually not quite so sure how much. My early lean on this is with Tennessee. I think Tennessee's good, not great. I think good is probably good enough here in this spot. A&M is at Alabama. The number is 24 here. I don't care who plays quarterback for the Crimson Tide on Saturday. I believe that's probably a pretty motivated team. I think for Jimbo Fisher, who's actually hearing more criticism around College Station than he's heard at any point in time in his coaching tenure there over the course of the last few days. I think this is the wrong opponent at the wrong time. I think and it's not even so much about what Jimbo said during the offseason. I think Alabama's probably mad after having lost to Texas A&M during the regular season last year. I know it's a little bit of a square play, a little bit of a, you know, kind of a common take. But the early indication I have is that Texas A&M is probably in a pretty rough spot. But if you want to be on the side of the Aggies, you're going to have plenty of space. This, this is a one-way street this week with everybody probably going on the side of Alabama. But sometimes, sometimes there truly is a wisdom in crowds on that. The game this week that I may like as much as anything, at my bookie right now, Mississippi State is an eight-point favorite against Arkansas. Folks, here's what I think you need to understand. I think if you want to go back to even a couple of weeks ago for some of the sports books that put ahead the look-ahead lines, like the early lines prior to the week of the game, Bulldogs are like a three-point favorite here in this spot. Are we really going to downgrade Arkansas by five points in spread value because they got beat up by Alabama? Who doesn't? Yeah, they played bad against, was it Tulsa a couple of, or Missouri State, whoever that was. They, they, they played bad in the game. Okay, that, that happened. But I think most of us who watched the Arkansas A&M side would say that Texas A&M was the wrong side in that game, and Arkansas, the eventual loser, was actually the right side for most of the day. You have the 14-point swing on the K.J. Jefferson fumble. You have the, uh, the field goal attempt at the end of the game that, that hit the upright, and you probably blame maybe Pittman for settling for a field goal a little too much on that. But either way, for most of the day, Arkansas kind of looked like the right side. I'm telling you right now, if you can get a big touchdown-plus number on Arkansas on the road at Mississippi State, this is a Bulldogs team that's covered every game against the spread but one so far this year, so they've been good against the number. Maybe all the more reason they're due. I really like Arkansas plus the eight points if that's where you can find it. And then the other sort of big game outside the SEC, pitting ranked opponents against each other, TCU dominant against Oklahoma last week, going on the road at Kansas, Jayhawks still undefeated, ESPN game day is there uh, on Saturday, but the Jayhawks are also a seven-point underdog here at home. I might see some early value here in Kansas just based on the fact that when you have a big sort of over your head of performance like TCU uh, did last week, you kind of wonder if you see flat spot here on that. Early indication for me is I might like Kansas plus the points there in that spot. But either way, we'll call those our my bookie best bets, and we'll keep our eye on those games movement with the spread throughout the week. And of course, you can follow all this yourself with our friends at my bookie. Find them online at my bookie, and then use the promo code Dog Nation. Now, when you use that promo code, here's what you're going to get: a big first deposit bonus. That means up to $1,000, the money that you put in, my bookie is going to double that for you right away. So you put in, let's say, $400. Well, my bookie is going to also, with your initial deposit, put in $400 there as well. That means you start off before you win your first bet with extra money in your account. In this case, you know, double what you put in, 800 bucks. And then after that, you can use that money, you can play, you can win, you can get paid. But you're literally a winner before you even make your first bet. That's how my bookie wants to take care of you. They want to start their relationship with you off on the right foot. So open up that account with our friends at MyBookie. You can bet anything, anywhere, anytime with our friends at MyBookie. Just simply find them online. That's MyBookie. And then use the promo code DOGNATION to take advantage of a big first deposit bonus. Uh, MyBookie, use the promo code DOGNATION. You have a chance to win today. Now, of course, we like to win today, but we also like to win as we head towards the weekend as well. And of course, when we think about that on Fridays, we think about our big finish presented by the Finish Long Drink. And what I have loved 
Even saw some folks on Saturday in Missouri enjoying it. I love to see folks at their tailgate with that finished long drink right there looking so good, ice cold right there in the cooler of that can. It sort of looks like a beer, but it's not. If you like mixed drinks, this is a ready-to-drink cocktail in the can. Just pop the top and enjoy it. Just drink it or pour it to a glass, whatever you want to do, whether it be the long drink cranberry, the long drink strong, the long drink zero, the long drink traditional, which is like a grapefruit flavor with a gin kick. I actually really enjoy that. Whichever one you want, you can find it online, thelongdrink.com, and you can try some today. You can put in your zip code, find out where you can pick it up. Golf courses all around where I live, bars, beverage stores, restaurants, things like that. You can enjoy some. And here's what I want you to do. When you try it, when you enjoy it, I want you to take a picture of yourself, and I want you to send it to me, and we're going to celebrate you as we celebrate the weekend, heading towards that on Friday with our big finish presented by the Finish Long Drink. So enjoy it, try some, share it with me, photo, video, whatever you have, and then we'll put that up as a part of our big finish presented by the Finish Long Drink later on this week. By the way, speaking of enjoying things, so nice last night. I know a baseball season's a challenging deal, and you know there's a lot of – you learn a lot of the course of the season. Here's what I think we learned this year. Braves are just better people than the Mets. That's just all we know. You know, Mets had their big lead, feeling good about themselves, and the Braves just never quite gave up. And somebody shared this with me on Twitter as a way of kind of celebrating that. Thad Stokes sent this to me. This is great. So it's a beat the freeze thing from Truist Park, and you see Mr. Matt getting way out in front. And here comes Blooper around the backside, much like the Braves did all season long. Chasing them down, down 10 and a half games, down late, blowhards in New York, declaring the division race is over. Uh, and then the Braves just never quit, never die, and took home the division last night, and the Mets falling flat on their face. You'd love to see that. Thank you to Thad Stokes for sharing that with me. Good job at Valley Sports South for making the video. That is our golden shoe today. And by the way, speaking of teams we hate that wear orange and blue, about those lousy stinking Gators? About 5,018 days since they have won a national championship. And how about a Gator hater countdown 24 days from right now back in Jacksonville doing to the Gators what the Braves just did to the Mets. Those lousy stinking Gators. You love that. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Past Management.